Don't ask what happened between 1964 and 1974. In honor of Deepon, last year's winner coming out this Friday, what's your favorite Palme d'Or winner and why? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the Umbrellas of Cherbourg because romance is better when it is sung and in French. Hey, it's me, David the Seven. There's a lot of good ones, but I'm going to pick the piano because I have a very distinct memory of making the mistake of watching it for the first time with my mother and my girlfriend's mother, but not with my girlfriend at the time. That's and a was lot. traumatized. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I'm Matt Patches, and because there wasn't a Palme d'Or between 64 and 74, I couldn't pick the conversation. So I'm going to pick Michael Hennigan's The White Ribbon and all those mm. evil little German children. We're all going with newer movies. I'm David Ehrlich. And Excuse just, me. Them bells are shared more, bro. Except for, Kate, except for Katie. Uh, hi. Uh, well, it may not be the best Palm d'Or winner, although I think it's higher than most people would rate. Uh, my favorite deci- film, that my fa- like my favorite decision of theirs to give an award has to be Dancer in the Dark because I think rewarding Lars von Trier's trolling provocateurness is uh, an act of trolling unto itself. And uh, it was a real fuck you to the film world and also a masterpiece. And they got it right. And uh, I love them for doing that. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 117 for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016. I'm picking a different On This Day in History than the one Davis chose it for me because on this day in 2014, I got married and you guys were all there. So happy anniversary to me and all of us because we uh, had a party in a backyard in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. It was a good time. What are you doing Uh, for your your anniversary? We are uh, going out of town this weekend. It's an anniversary plus last trip before there's a baby. So it's kind of a double header. But first, I'm recording a podcast because that is how you celebrate anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully all this personal storytelling should inspire you to leave a review of how much you love this show because uh, we could use some reviews. We like hearing from you. Uh, David will read them and mispronounce your name maybe. And it helps. It helps get the word out. It does. We're all in this together. I haven't checked on the Billions podcast lately. I don't know if it's still kicking around. Well, I just want to say now Billions is over. So the Billions podcast (laughs) has kind of dropped down the list. But I don't know if you've heard of this show Game of Thrones that's come back and how many fucking podcasts there are about Game of Thrones. If you look at the top 20, it's all Game of Thrones podcasts, including a storm of effing spoilers. Right now, it's at number 14. Fuck you, Dave. We're coming I mean, for you. Joanna, Joanna needs to come back on this show and talk about something. <laughs> All right. They uh, they made a bold prediction about what was going to happen on Game of Thrones and made T-shirts about it, and then they I, were right. I don't know well, how yeah, Joanna big, turns around big those surprise. Vanity Fair recaps as quickly as she. I don't understand. She uh, has a time turner. It flows. I, I, I really don't. I really don't know, but it stresses me out. Uh, <laughs> the Lord of the Light is with her. If you want to reduce uh, David's stress, review the show. Put us, uh, put us in the running with storm spoilers. It'll make everybody happy. So for our first segment tonight. We are going to be talking about laughter, comedy, <laughs> and where did it go? Uh, over the weekend, a movie called Keanu was released into theaters, and it did not perform very well. Dave uh, saw it. I did. I saw it. Never did a you good like sign. It? What? Never a good <laughs> sign if Dave some, saw it. Got me some points on my Regal Entertainment uh, membership card. Mm-hmm. That's your review of Keanu. <laughs> my chiropractor, who loves cats and comedy and Key and Peele, Went to go see it with his wife, and they laughed a few times, I'm told. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, the movie, it would have seen, like, pun intended, catnip for South by Southwest, where it premiered, but the reaction was really muted, as it was for Sausage Party, which were two films that I expected to kill down there, and the fact that they didn't is really, really damning. Uh, but that my point, I, I come here not to shit on Keanu, which I have not seen, uh, but I was. it just made me think, yet again, with... Uh, 
Ghostbusters and Neighbors 2 on the Horizon. And my chiropractor, my chiropractor, now playing a major <laughs> character in the segment, uh, was asking me about the last good comedy I saw. And I couldn't think of one. And he said it was coming to America. And I was like, dude, what? <laughs> Whoa, okay, hang ago. on. Um, I think he was. Is anybody else talking to anybody else in their life? I think he was partially kidding. <laughs> but. Uh, that is a good movie. And he's right that I, I had a hard time thinking of any out-and-out out comedy. I think uh, the thing is that these days, it's the same few faces. I mean, there are a ton of comedies that um, sort of get in under the wire in terms of the genre definition that are uh, of the indie variety. I think of things like, um, what was that? Only, or what was that fucking, the, the abortion movie with Jenny Slate? Uh, obvious, obvious child. child. Obvious child. That's a comedy. I don't know why I think why that was. No, the first it's definitely thing I a comedy. Of. Or like My Blind Brother, which is coming out soon. I saw at the Tribeca Film Festival, also with Jenny Slate. Anything that Jenny Slate is in is a, a comedy s thing, but they tend to be in films that we see that premiere festivals. These smaller indie comedies tend to be heavily inflected with dramatic elements. They they're not really of the Seth Rogen. Uh, Adam Sandler ilk of comedy and when I think of like the last pure comedy that I saw and enjoyed it was The Night Before which is a Seth Rogen movie and The Spy before that with uh, uh, yep. uh, and, and so they are which is not a Seth Rogen movie but you follow my drift that these are uh, a very limited pool of people who make the big comedies uh, because so much of comedy of what we think of as outright comedies has been relegated to television uh, whether it's uh, New Girl, which is one of like two funny network shows, or uh, more often Netflix, which has done so well with shows like uh, Master of None and Love, which is, again, also both of those are not great examples because they are not outright comedies. But well, they Kimmy that, Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt, sure. Um, Kimmy Schmidt's a great example. So my my question is to you guys is where are we with comedy on the big screen is feature length comedy which is now belongs as much to ricky gervais and adam sandler making these straight oh, netflix Jesus. jams uh i did see uh, wait did you see ricky gervais's thing i did i saw it on the big screen as part of the tribeca film festival it is miserable uh, <laughs> i would have to imagine that it's better than the adam sandler movies um but which were only the second one is imminent. His next one uh, kind of looks funny. I'll just is, put that why, out there. But why, why would you? Why would you <laughs> Wait, David Spade is a funny guy, but, and he's the lead. It's not Adam, like, Adam Sandler's movie. What is the what is the immediate future of comedy on film, or you know, on film in air quotes, you know, on on something that is uh, being released by a theatrical model, or is comedy broad comedy at least one of the first casualties of the uh, migration towards streaming. Wait, I want to hear Dave on Keanu, I guess, to start this off, since I also didn't see it, and I love Key and Peele and Cats. So I'm part of the oh, problem. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but the uh, Cats and MacGuffin, so you've seen the majority of the cute things it's going to do in the trailer already. Um, and it feels like a sketch that was stretched out to feature length, but unlike Key and Peele's sketches, it's not... Um, really sharp with uh, the social commentary. So there's a few moments where you get the idea that the whole thing's about you know masculinity and being a black man, but the mo- most of it's just like a crazy madcap action comedy that actually is more structured like a stoners get in a situation they have to sort of bumble their way through than it is something that's actually talking about uh, like issues funnily like Key and Peele usually do. So their personalities come through well but it kind of suffers because they have to stay the two same characters and their characters pretending to be other characters. So they're like virtual layers, but it's really just one long sketch of get the cat back and have to be pretend to be gangsters to do it. I don't really mind the idea of Key and Peele doing a madcap comedy like that. I guess, yeah, I, I like the use of subversive kind of social commentary that they did on the show, but that doesn't feel like a necessity to me. So clearly I've, uh, deprive myself by not seeing well what's interesting about key and peel making the leap to the big screen is that these are guys i mean they, they have a television show which is 
uh, sort of the root of their brand or has been to this point. But so many of those sketches that they do on their show are digested online. And so it mm-hmm. does feel like they are going against the tide by having a, uh, a feature length film that is premiering exclusively in theaters. Um, and it Although just, there's it, a Jordan Peele has a reason for that. He wants you to go in a theater and laugh with other people because that's one thing uh, yeah. you don't do at home and don't do while watching YouTube videos at work or something. And it, and, and it's a great experience when you get to re- when you watch a funny comedy. I guess it's rare, but it's interesting to me that here, you know, the criticism that we hear all the time, this is a sketch drawn out to a feature length film um, because sketch movies can work really well. Like we praise Monty Python's movies and those are just a series of sketches tethered together um, with a very loose through line. Um, and, but I think you either have to go one that direction, full sketch movie or have a really good story. We were, uh, I think spy, you know, builds on the, on a genre blueprint. Uh, we talk about, I talked about barbershop the other day. I was like in a, theater at riotous uh it was really a fun experience or mistress america uh one of uh, several of our favorite you did not see mistress america in a riotous theater (laughs) what do you mean what are you talking about did you really okay i just it just like like, i love that movie but it does not seem like a huge crowd response kind of movie to me oh i mean it definitely crescendos it builds to that moment like you're you're giggling through the beginning and then you're losing your mind by the end i totally think so that's great i mean i I watched it at home so i but i i I think the problem with some of these movies rogan's movies uh the 21 and 22 jump street movies i just watched i made the horrible mistake of watching vacation on hbo the other day (laughs) it's very rough or sisters which came out last year these sisters, bomb. I, I laughed at. Sisters is I, I, I hated laughed at sisters. sisters. I hated I, it. I only and I, laughed because I was sort of uh, being clockwork orange to watch it in a theater. I, I think that I probably helped. Yeah. lost interest at home. Yeah, of course it does. I mean, I don't think but there's these, much argument that it, that it does. For me, these but. movies are like half-baked sketch movies. They're not. They're just taking them to situation to situation, especially like Vacation, which is the road movie, of course. Um, but they're not going all the way. They're not going to really just be great written sketches. Which is why Spy, I think, is so impressive because it's got, you know, the posters, Melissa McCarthy and this dowdy old lady outfit. And you're thinking like, oh, like silly person falling down trying to be a spy. And they craft this really thoughtful story around it and train record i think is a, le- is a less successful movie kind of goes in the same direction by just writing it like it's I, I, it's such a it seems like such a simple thing and obviously it's really difficult to do but that is what sets he's apart i think but is comedy it's- in trouble on the big screen these days do you find that we are getting pound for pound fewer outright funny like unmitigated comedies than we were in the 90s than we were even 10 years ago Yes, because they're too weird. I think of like one of the funniest movies I've seen the last few years is um, They Came Together from uh, mm-hmm. David Wayne and Michael Showalter. Kind of a. Wanderlust is better, but yes. Okay, well, Wanderlust was many years ago now, sadly. We're getting old. Um, but again, those are just every frame has a joke and something else is playing in the background and it's moving like clockwork. And it's just very, it's aiming to be very, very funny with coherent characters. Um, and I also would say, I, I really, really enjoyed the interview. Seth Rogen, Seth Rogen. Yeah. Go, yeah. more than more than this is the end. Uh, yes, which I agreed. think is a half-baked sketch movie again. And the interview, at least, is going full force in this ridiculous story, but has cinematic value. And it's taking it seriously as a as a movie as well as joke, 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 joke. Yeah. Well, it's a well, shame are... to hear about Keanu because that sounds like the opposite of the kind of comedy we need to revitalize uh, feature-length comedies. That we don't need just movies that are one sketch that's bloated to 90 minutes or a series of smaller sketches that might as well be on TV or the internet. Uh, but something that really tells yeah, a full-bodied story. Keanu's aiming for something cinematic, right? I mean, it, from all accounts, it's trying to be a big action movie. It, I mean, it feels a little bit like Pineapple Express in that regard, where it knows what it's trying to call back to very specifically. But whether or not it achieves that for you is, um, I guess, your mileage may vary. What What do it's people more, think of Pineapple Express? What is the legacy of that movie? I did Ooh, not great. like it. Oh, I loved it. Interesting, interesting. Okay. <laughs> well, David, I, I think your hurricane season was over. I like David... that big joint he smokes. Anyway, 
Um, I think to your point, like we are talking about the same people over and over again. Like one of the last comedies we all really liked was The Night Before. And now we're looking forward to Neighbors 2, which is Seth Rogen again. Like there definitely is kind of a, and I think, you know, people like Judd Apatow like actively try to combat this to whatever level of success, which is how Trainwreck came to be. But there is kind of this dearth of new voices, which is what Keanu deserved to be. And, you know, the way that comedy works a lot of the times is that it gets discovered much later. So Keanu could still serve that purpose. And Key and Peele, regardless of how this movie does, are obviously important comedy voices who you know will continue to have opportunities going forward yeah the problem is the big screen comedies studio comedies are not they're not looking outside the circle you would think that i mean if anyone had an ear to the ground after tangerine came out those those women would have a movie or like sean baker would be making a studio comedy of something crazy crazy ideas ridiculous ideas or true to life ideas a public bathroom where they can safely i know they can safely yeah. use let alone a film career let's i know i know and yet you know i get daddy's home made a lot of money so Bill daddy's Ferrell's home made still, a lot of money making a daddy's home too mommy's home um yeah, so many. So we're this summer. What we get? Bad moms, more bad movies. Ghostbusters. Uh, Ghostbusters could break out, but I mean, we're still kind of like going to the same well over and over oh, again. Oh yeah, no, it's not like that. I mean, that's like two people, like Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, of the probably the most financially successful comedy of the last five years, at least close to it. Uh, and then Ghostbusters. Yeah, no, it's like definitely like a whole branded thing. But like after Spy, I really, I really will follow, follow Paul Feig just about anywhere. Yeah, I guess that's I mean, the, isn't the yeah. whole. Isn't the whole idea that movie comedies are, like, an end step in, like, the comedy ladder? Like, you start off small, and then you get, like, a TV show or a live show, and then you get, like, you know, your stand-up set. And then... The Amy Schumer path. Yeah. Right well, I mean, I think that's, that's, like, every. That's why there's, like, an SNL cursed, you know, movie yeah. myth and everything. I think that's just the path. It's but the conventional like, wisdom is that that stardom path doesn't really exist in regular movies anymore. So why why do comedy stars still exist and kind of have this chokehold on what comedies get made when they don't in like other genres? I don't know. I think the cinematic like broad comedy is a weird like leftover of just extensions of other broad comedy eras that were playing to like mass like audiences. Like I'm sure like I am happy that, you know, Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part do exist. But did they need to be movies? I don't know. You could argue that, you know, now these days you could do that, you know, on the on Netflix for the you know, probably the same amount of money. So, for a mini topic today, mini segment, uh, there was a story that was published recently uh, that was an oral history of the Broadway sensation Rent. And in that piece, uh, I believe, what, what outlet was it on? The New Yorker? No. New York, New York Magazine. New York, New York yeah. Magazine. Uh, the author in the intro said that Rent was a sensation that has not been equaled uh, since until Hamilton. And I... Hold on. I, I want to get this exact quote right because you're about to grill Please, me. So this, she this said that Rent... Go poorly for you, <laughs> Rent so. generated a buzz rarely seen at theater and not truly replicated until Hamilton. We're talking about Fine. the buzz in the, the moment. Buzz. The buzz. So uh, I joined into a conversation between Patches and someone else uh, where I essentially said that that Patches said that he didn't feel that was true. And I said that it feels to me very true. And then Patches said something snide about how, because I love Hamilton, therefore it must be <laughs> true. Uh, and then this all sounds pretty correct. correct. Still. It was snide. It was definitely snide. Of the woodwork <laughs> to tell Patches that he was wrong. Uh, and it was just a beautiful thing. To very unlike everybody. You. Uh, but um, I, <laughs> I wanted to not just rake patches across the coals for his his spite and ignorance, but uh, I I felt strongly, and my my side of it was sort of that I felt more qualified to have that opinion because I don't really engage with most theater. Right, the, right. The, which you the, don't believe about moviegoers. On this podcast, you've talked before about how people who don't see movies probably don't have the same 
or should deserve to have the same critical opinions on movies. Well, as, it's not uh, the critical opinion. We're not talking about critical. Yeah, I would never say that you should take my opinion as to what is good and bad theater. Uh, I'm just saying okay. that I'm a better bellwether for what is registering outside of the theater world than somebody who gives a shit. It's the same way that um, when you're a chiropractor. Uh, mine's a bad example because he what is your chiropractor's name? He's such an important part of this episode. His <laughs> name Dr. is Lynn Manuel. No, <laughs> Doctor Mike, House of Chiropractic in uh, in Brooklyn. Um, but you know, when like Avatar came out, this is the example I use at Patches Online. Like, and people who see a movie once every three years, are like, oh, I gotta go see Avatar. Uh, if you heard about this Avatar, they're all blue. It's crazy. Uh, you know, that's the the vibe they get right, from Hamilton, but- where the, when the producers were successful. Uh, I saw it because I had parents who, uh, when a show you live in the vicinity, Tonys, and we lived in the vicinity, they were like, "All right, you go see the producer." That's key. And I saw uh, I saw Book of Mormon because um, it was my dad's sort of humor, and we were like, "Go see the Book of Mormon," and he'd seen it, he liked it. But right. Hamilton. So you're not you're not actually out of the loop here. Wait, you wait, might okay, not be a well, musical fan, but the... you live in New York Hamilton City. Was the only show. Uh, and I was very into Rent because it felt like there was no escape from it. Once upon a time, I was high school age. Hamilton, there, there again, it was it was completely ubiquitous. There was no escape from it. It was not a my dad emailing me to say like, oh, I heard the show's funny. I got you tickets. You're going. It was the the universe uh, on all sides. And your universe. That side of the argument with some numbers, which is saying that uh, the album was the. Top. What was the the fact that you cited, Katie? That it was. I like, mean, I, hang on. I'm looking it up. You you put me on the spot. Wait. It, I, feel, it, it, I I feel like the thing to turn to this is Dave, who doesn't live in New York City. Like I recognize that we are oh, all come. in something of a bubble because we've all lived in New York City. But hang on, patches. One Dave second. Dave is not uh, an outlier here I'm because not, he lives in different states. I'm just saying I'm that just... there's a difference between, <laughs> regardless of what the number is of how many albums Hamilton has sold. I mean, there's a difference between, and a lot of it has to just to do with exactly what Patch is talking about, about the buzz, about the moment, about its moment in time. Uh, I think Rent struck a particular chord, and Hamilton, there's no denying, has certainly done so. Uh, it is not every day that you see the cast of a Broadway show performing live uh, from the White House or, um, I don't know, winning the... The Pulitzer Prize and a Genius Grant. I mean, I th- like, and, and those are sort of esoteric awards in their way, but uh, I do think that they are accurate representations of the extent to which the show has become such a phenomenon. Um, I think that uh, my my sense was, uh, my my tingling, spidey sense of someone who's really just on the periphery of the whole theater scene, and even then only by proximity, uh is that this is connecting in a way that no other show since Rent has. Probably even more than Rent did to a, a great extent. Um, okay, I have some numbers finally. Do you no. want them? So it is yeah. the so when Bill, when Hamilton debuted on the Billboard charts in let's see in October, it was the highest debut ever in the Billboard 200 for a cast recording since the they combined stereo mono in 1963. Uh, it's the second biggest sales debut for uh, a cast album in the Nielsen era, which is since 1991. The first biggest is Rent. Wait, how many and copies did it sell? It sold. Uh, 30,000 equivalent album units in the week ending October 1st. Yeah, and if we were in an era where people actually bought music, it would probably... Well, see, that's what you have confused here. You are in an era where people buy cast recordings. That's a thing. So I don't believe that... Well, it still did well. But it's also, in addition to... We're in an era where people don't buy albums so that Hamilton could easily jump to the top. Well, okay, so Hamilton sold 30,000, Rent sold 43,000 when everyone had to buy everything. Like, Rent was bigger, but, like, I think there's a reason to believe And also, in addition to that, Hamilton is expanding uh, to a very hungry country where it's going to uh, play all these various cities. It's also currently the number one selling book in the country. Uh, I mean, this is a a full force, uh, you know... All sides. Three I just think I think we're attack. a little in the bubble here when we're talking about buzz. Sure, we are definitely surrounded by an aura of Hamilton because we're in New York. We're culturalists, uh, and, and, but in in contrast, say like Book of Mormon was huge in that moment. Debuted number three under two albums. It was never going to top Adele's Twenty One, Lady I, I Gaga's think Born the This Way. Tell this the is story here. I think okay. Like, well, you're a... we're citing numbers here just to kind of like put our fingers on the pulse. But I again, Hamilton. What I'm really arguing is that Hamilton could get there to rent, or could even get there to where uh, uh, Book of Mormon or some of these other 
flash in the pan shows have been. And I'm not saying like Hamilton's cultural contribution. Come down to Earth. Oh no, that's John Stewart. Sorry, that fucking ad is gonna. Oh my god, that fucking ad. Like clear, clearly, it's making an impression in obvious ways, in an industry way. It's making it in Washington, where a lot of people are talking about it because there's a crossover appeal there. So you see a lot of pundits talking about it. It's making an impression at the Gram or yeah, the, it, at the Grammys where, where they got to do because in my my bubble ends in the it, rest it of this country, and I'm really interested in the like, rest it, of it, the people. I am outside of the bubble. Uh, I know you don't seem to think so because no, you're I work not. in media and I live yeah. in New I think York. you're crediting yourself with being outside the bubble a little more than you probably Maybe. Deserve, okay, but you do. Do you think that, that – how New York dependent is it? Because do you think that our listeners who are scattered across the country and, and possibly, if we're lucky, beyond that um, are a good barometer or are they too tapped in because they listen to a podcast? I think their parents culture? are a good barometer. Their parents. All right. So listeners – uh, because this is just a mini segment, yes, and uh, we don't need to determine the fate of Hamilton right here and now. This is this uh, is more of a polling because I think story. we, I think we all agree that it's made a huge impact yes. in people who care I, about these I sort want, of things. I want who our are, listeners to talk to their parents, or if our listeners are of an older generation, talk to themselves. Or listeners, and, if you have never listened to, if you don't care anything about Broadway, like if if your yeah. interests are entirely. You know, movies that we talked right. about, and you've never thought about a cast album. In your and then, life. and then, ask them if they've heard of Book of Morbid and Wicked. Or sure, yes, excited all of those things. I've heard of these things. I've heard of Cats, but yeah, I've, it's not heard of. It's like listening my, to the I, yeah, album and what, caring yeah, about I, it. Uh, right. I think that the, exactly. the weight that it carries is, is not just the well. That, that's that's the difference. What I'm saying, like a lot of people probably have heard of Hamilton. Have they gone all the way? The way that many people in New York or many people who are listening to the the hype coming out being broadcast out of New York, I'm not well, sure. I guess so if you're I'm, listening I'm to this, uh, we'll leave it to you, your own judgment, to decipher the difference between whether or not it's just something you've heard of, or if it's something that you sense. Even if you haven't actually heard the music, if you sense that it is uh, affecting <laughs> the people that you know stronger than uh, well, other Broadway shows in recent My years. My real point is, like you, David, I was a, a rent junkie uh, as, as a teenager, and it probably hasn't gone away because this New Year's Eve I got way drunk and sang um, What You Own. I believe it. And rock, That's and it, a good it, I'm sure there's video. And it was great. It was gr- There is video. Uh, but Dave, hopefully that never Dave, surfaces. do you want to say anything in the segment? It's too long. <laughs> Is that a quote? I still haven't actually listened to Hamilton. No, it's just long. It's a long musical. Be talking about video games, and in order to do so, despite our uh, extreme expertise in the topic, <laughs> as demonstrated um, just a few weeks ago when yeah. we were talking about video game narrative, we have decided to invite a very special guest joining us from TheVerge.com, a Vox Media site, is Chris Plant, senior editor, I believe. Is yeah, the all right. Welcome that, that, to the podcast, you're, Chris. You're on several podcasts, Chris. Sure, you're, you're a veteran, right? What are What are you on? Uh, I have a show at The Verge called What's Tech, where we explain tech for people who don't get it. Because I don't. Well, it would be like this segment. <laughs> You're not I helping your credentials here. We brought well, you on for your expertise. Games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's a West Wing podcast called West Wing History Class. Step which, off. Uh, yeah, which, oh man, if you if you ever want to yell at me, listen to that. Uh, and then be furious <laughs> that I don't love the show. And then leave a comment and join uh, the group. <laughs> but Chris, you have played a video game, correct? Yeah, I've played a few of them. I've played a few of them, more than one. I, yes, more than, I would say, three. Excellent. Okay, so you, uh, you are ready for our conversation, which is uh, the, the germ for this topic came to me. I had a vision when I was forced under extreme duress to go see a film called Ratchet and Clank last oh, okay. week. Which, Based on the uh, hit video game series Ratchet and Clank. Yes, uh, which, believe it or not, I was actually aware of because I have owned at least one of those games. And uh, I can't remember which one, but I, I remember it being a high quality piece of virtual entertainment 
uh, thinking that it was. I, I don't think I completed it, but it was uh, as far as platformers go in 3D. I thought it was solid. Had some had some charm. Anyway, uh, they made a movie in order to help raise attention for this reimagining of the original game, uh, which was recently released on the PlayStation 4 at the beginning of April. Uh, the well, movie hold was on, they didn't make a whole movie just to promote the game. Oh, did but they, they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would disagree with that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they reused uh, like a lot of assets, right? Um, I I couldn't say with authority, but it certainly looked that way. I mean, it uh, it it did not look like anything more evolved graphically than a decent PlayStation Four game. From uh, the director of TMNT, who also used to work in video games, and eleven different. Oh no, this is Rainmaker Studios. He wasn't involved. Rainmaker Studios who made this game, or made this movie rather. Uh, oh, they made, only, they made reboot. They made they made uh, Earth, not Mars Needs Moms, uh, but Earth. Something Battle about Terra. Earth to Echo. No. What? Wow. It's a shitty CG movie with the word Earth in the title, right. and uh, eleven so different Barbie movies that went straight to. It could be. Let's see. Uh, Rainmaker Studios. Is it's Earth Echo. Rainmaker Entertainment. It was Earth Escape from Planet Earth, Katie. Oh, Escape I think the what Rob in the world Planet. is Earth to Echo then? It's Rob Cord, Brendan Fraser, <laughs> and Al. And where Ratchet did your mind Echo. wander? Where did your mind wander during oh, Ratchet I, I saw so many corners of the universe uh, that I never previously had time to ponder in this 90-minute wretched... Th- I mean, this is truly a piece of garbage. Uh, and the 3D was... The animation is hideous, and the 3D <laughs> makes it Ten times worse. It's so dark. Uh, you would think that having all these bright colors would would help find a middle ground there, but it didn't. And the young child watching the movie next to me t- took off his glasses, I think, in part because his eyes were <laughs> in part because he was just out of defiance uh, about three minutes into the movie and just stared blankly into the void for the 90 minutes that followed. And his mom was on her iPad, not iPhone her iPad in a press screening and nobody complained because nobody cared. Um, Sylvester Stallone voices a character in this. John Goodman does. Uh, there are some recognizable voices. Paul Giamatti plays one of the bad guys. Anyway, it's awful. But my question that I we brought you on to discuss um, sure. is what I found most interesting about this movie. Really the only interesting thing well, there are two. One is that it somehow manages to rip off all three Star Wars trilogies. I've never seen this done before. Uh, it's also in part because the Star Wars, the first movie in all the Star Wars trilogies have a lot in common. Uh, but this so it's like The Force on, Awakens. It is, but this touches on Just elements like from all three of them. Uh, it's incredibly derivative, but it's even derivative of <laughs> itself because it effectively tells the story of the first game. This is a platform game. It's not an RPG. Which is also rebooted and being retold right now on the PlayStation 4. Correct. So there's three versions of this same damn Correct. story. And it, it's again, it's not like an RPG with involved characters. It is a sure. very dumb story that's meant to stitch together levels in a video game. Uh, it's not all that much deeper than Mario trying to rescue the princess. It's about uh, a Lombax, which is like a a meerkat humanoid thing who joins the Galactic Rangers and and uh, they are fighting against this corporate overlord named Drek, which is uh, appropriately... Which is what the movie is. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he is like terraforming planets that combine like one super planet or something and it's <laughs> unclear even in the film and uh, they they mix it up a little bit they introduce things that only came into the video games later into the movie but for the most part it's the game and so my question is who is this for is this this is this <laughs> like who is the audience for a story that they already know if they're the fans of the game already know the story and they weren't interested in it to begin with and because the first thing you do when you play a game like this is press start during these cutscenes, and it's certainly it's not you. I I watch are... every one. I love oh, the story. Uh-huh. It's certainly not for people who are new to Ratchet and Clank because the story could not possibly be enjoyed by anyone who didn't already have a certain investment in the series. So, Chris, what is the thinking behind with all the, the proliferation <laughs> of video game movies? What's the thinking behind telling the same story on film versus? telling a new story in a recognizable game world okay this is there there are a lot of different answers here um (laughs) so i'll try to unpack it as best i can but this is a very ratchet and clank is kind of unique i think we should address that first i think ratchet and clank exist 
almost to remind people who care deeply about games that they neither look even close to as good as movies do uh, of the animated kind, <laughs> uh, nor are the stories even as close to as good. And like those are the two things that are often said about Ratchet and Clank, where they're like, well, it practically looks like a Pixar movie. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't at all. Who <laughs> says that? Oh, if you Google Pixar, Ratchet and Clank, and be prepared. Um, it, thousands and, and of Tumblr sites come up. Over and over and over. I, I mean, with each new version of this series, that was like, it, it, it kept being spouted off. And it was spouted off for this one, too. Um, uh, I two, just saw someone, I'm sorry, I saw an article on TheVerge.com that says yep. Ratchet and Clank looks like a playable Pixar movie. You know who didn't write that? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's not my byline. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm critical of my peers because I love them. Um, and uh, I will also say that people talk a big deal about how great video game stories are. I think there is a one that I cannot name at the moment that is about to come out. You're going to see that like mad for that. It is the world's best video game story. And I think... Uh, Does it write schmud-hearted more? <laughs> no comment. Um, but I, I, I think Ratchet & Clank, in a weird way, exists, if it does serve any purpose in this world, to remind us that video games, uh, in their aspiration to be like Hollywood, uh, really, really fall short in practically all of those ways. Uh, but to get to your question... Who should movies like? Are you are you saying like is this a thing like should it happen or like why does it happen? Both. I mean, because I think I think about it in terms of a much higher quality product, like uh, with, with a much stronger narrative foundation, like The Last of Us. And there have been rumors of a mm. Last of Us movie. And my thinking was always, okay, well, this is a, a case where the best thing to do, given that the film or that the game rather already plays like one of the better. Uh, post-apocalyptic zombie-ish stories out there would be just to essentially stitch the cutscenes together, film it live action, and, and try to uh, maintain the same narrative integrity of the game. Uh, but I, I also I struggle with the point of that. Um, Gus Van Sant's psycho approach to game yeah. to movie. Yeah, and that's also adaptation. how we adapt. It's also how we adapt books a lot of the time. But I think that we. We're not as bothered by this because it's not we're not moving from one visual medium to another. Also, I mean, this is going to be an unpopular opinion with people who like video games. But like even that story, which is great uh, for a video game. Is that really something people would want to see as like a movie? I mean, that's really like a 20 minute short story that is cut together with like, last a of whole us, bunch of shooting people in the face. Yeah, The Last of Us. Like, <laughs> I, it's a really I would... good short story. Um, I see the potential there for a great film. Is all I will say. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think if you like, if somebody actually made a great video game into a movie and the miracle of miracles happened and they kept most of the dialogue and the scene work and everything, uh, I think they would find two things: one that it's short, that it just runs very very short, but two that uh, it doesn't make sense why most of the characters are only. Uh, part of the adventure for 10 minutes at a time and that one is disposed of to make way for the next um mm -hmm. and the other big thing is the production value would dip tremendously um a thing that like isn't appreciated about video games and what makes the spectacle work so well is like it doesn't look like cg when they have like a big set piece in boston it just looks like a video game and you buy into it um, and it feels really believable and you can really kind of live in this space and have these quiet scenes that if they were done on film, they would either be extremely expensive because you, people wouldn't be accepting of these kind of cheap video game assets or, or you'd have to like, I don't know, shoot on location. It, I think it'd be really tough. So I think you would find that the movies don't look nearly as good as you think they would. They would be thin and they just wouldn't really piece together. So I, I'm not really of the belief that even something like Last of Us could really just be kind of ported uh, or adapted into film. And I think you can see that because that movie is like not going to get made, right? Like, it certainly hey, hasn't Sam happened Raimi yet. wants to make that movie. I, you know, I'm sure Sam Raimi likes to make a lot of movies that don't happen. <laughs> um, but 
I, I think the other thing with that too, and this I, I think, think you can speak specifically to Last of Us and Uncharted, which talk about another movie that supposedly is getting made. Um, it's not a game that we've discussed on this segment at all. Yeah, and, and we haven't mentioned it at all because we're just talking about this in relation to The Last of Us. They're made by the same developer. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you look at that, right? And I don't know if you know this about video game publishers, but they are uh, comically secretive and controlling. Uh, and, and to the point where uh, one of my colleagues, he uh, used to be a war journalist. Um, and now it actually just spent time writing a book on saints to get away from uh, video games for a while. Mm, uh, wow. But he wrote a piece for The New Yorker. And in that, he was covering uh, a game called Gears of War. And while he was doing that, he basically was like, this is more secretive than the time that I spent internationally covering war. Uh, <sighs> is how over the top these people are. And how comically controlling their marketing and uh, PR wings are. And if you think those people are bad, the people who control the lore video game for most video games are even more hardcore. Um, there were so many rumblings at the studio Naughty Dog that made Uncharted and Last of Us about all of the in like battles that were happening between the former writer of those games and the dude who come came in basically kind of replaced her would be i think the polite way of saying it um so imagine these like huge 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 personalities that have never had to really give at all being brought into hollywood and these people also think that they are like the best in their craft and now they're thrown into a thing where they're like making some deal with Lionsgate for like a 70 million dollar adaptation of their 300 million dollar video game so you're not optimistic about the very real, believe it or not, Assassin's Creed film. Yeah, so, that was my question. Yes, I am optimistic. Well, um, wait, I just want to speak to one thing that you're saying here. The secrecy element, obviously, you know, we deal with this. This is what fuels the Marvel machine, right? And you can sell people the same thing over and over and over again because you veil it in secrecy. My understanding from being around people who love video games and playing a few myself is that um, it's the same, like in Assassin's Creed, this is a good segue because that is the same game over and over and over and over again, maybe with like tiny little changes that oh, no. make people bring people back for just a little more, a little different, but the same thing over and over again. And it's the secrecy that it makes people excited. It's not the I, actual I don't know. story. I, I completely disagree. Creed. Yeah. I, I oh sorry go ahead I I, I was no I was just gonna say that Assassin's Creed as a story makes no fucking sense and so I'm a little bit skeptical about this movie but oh, go on that's why it, that's why it has a shot okay <laughs> this is this absurd but I I think you I I one I don't, I don't think the secrecy is the problem necessarily for video game publishers I think it's the need of control and well, I think not, when not you a, have not too a problem want control things but it's how you sell the same well, game the over and over again right yeah, it's not I, necessarily. I, that the games are innovating. It's that I, secrecy is what fuels interest. I would almost say the opposite is my opinion of both video games and Marvel. It's the familiarity with a like tiny dose of secrecy. Like people like Marvel, I think the same reason they like Assassin's Creed, like they're essentially both superhero stories, right? Like you kind of know what you're going to get when you go into these, but with each one, you get a basically one new character that you're seeing a the eye, you know, like you're looking into this world for the first time through the eyes of this specific character. So in Assassin's Creed, you had Ezio is one of them. And then there's other ones <laughs> who clearly had a very profound impact on me. Um, but I think <laughs> the Spanish one, the yeah. American Revolution one, they're they like American the... girl dolls. When are they finally going to do Assassin's Creed in the future and really fucking blow some like Grand Theft Auto <laughs> in the future? Oh, fine. Well, well, maybe I'm. Well, I know, future, like, but really the world embrace, has like, like Blade Runner, Grand Theft Auto. That's my game. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't have that answer for you right now. Where is Are they it? not interested in making you, money? Come on. I, I think I think something like that'll happen soon enough. I think you'll be okay. I think it's called Crackdown, and it will come out this fall. Um, but I have no I have no familiarity with Crackdown. I only buy video games that have numbers <laughs> in the title. <laughs> you are the problem. You're the exact um, opposite of who you are in the movie world. 
Yeah. To answer your question about why Assassin's Creed, I think it has a shot. Um, my, my suspicion there is, so this is like kind of getting in the weeds, but Ubisoft, the publisher that made Assassin's Creed, was really, really hardcore on story for a long time. Uh, they had like a story wing inside of their studio that wasn't even connected to any of the individual developers within the publisher. Um, each developer would be like a team that's making a video game. Uh, I'm really kind of boiling this down. But they had a team that was just dedicated to story. And then more recently, they've been like, hey, we're kind of going to start moving in the trend of more modern video games, which is, hey, we can't be movies. Like, this is, this is a silly thing to chase. One, because we aren't movies. But two, it's not really a great use of our money. Like, making a one-off experience uh, does not... It's, it's not as long-term valuable as making an open world. Um, so they've gotten very into uh, storytelling inside of the environment. What so, games came out of that? What, like, like story, what, or that story in the environment? Yeah, or the room that you're describing, the kind of like story wing of Ubisoft. What games oh, were... Oh, I mean, Assassin's Creed. Oh, I would okay. say the last kind of big game to try to do this, and it was open world, was like Watch Dogs. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I think like... Assassin's Creed was like kind of the quintessential example of like, okay, really heavy story, lots of moments where we're just talking and talking and talking. And they've kind of moved away from that. And I think in moving away from that, they've kind of chilled a little bit in terms of uh, needing to control everything with story. Uh, and the other thing that I think is good about it is because it, because it doesn't make any sense. And the premise is like, well, you plug into the Matrix and you can go into the past and you can go anywhere in the past. And it, it could happen for any reason whatsoever. If you let people play with that, like, really, it's just an excuse to do Pirates of the Caribbean in any time in history that you would want to do it. Like that's or Prince really of Persia. Funny. Well, I, oh, well, yeah. one of the the game that I'm uh, you know really into at the moment, uh, predictably, is uh, Dark Souls Three. And that is a far cry, no pun intended, to referencing God. another video game series. Uh, <laughs> Even though to, that pun wasn't intended, I'm shaking my head. <laughs> uh, to, the pun was definitely intended. Um, to uh, more plot-driven games like Uncharted or even Ratchet & Clank. I wonder what you see the potential as being for... I mean, I, I don't know if there's necessarily an audience uh, that would go see a movie for a, mo for a, film fran a game franchise rather that is so not plot driven even though there is a strong mythology no. behind those there's games. a there's I'm a minecraft movie yeah coming. there i mean it, but so that's the other side of the coin like these movies that are adapted from games that have no clear narrative but play in the sandbox of the world that they provide them like which do you find or can you imagine being more a valuable to audiences and and be more lucrative Oh, I mean, 100% those options. I don't know if I think a Dark Souls movie is going to be, <laughs> you know, do gangbusters, but I think a Minecraft movie is a great idea. Um, because it's An just... Angry Birds movie. Find you know, out why those birds oh, are... Oh, God. Okay. That, 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 I was about to bring thing, Angry Birds right? up. What was that? Angry Birds is the opposite of that, because Angry Birds is like... It's not a giant world. There's no creativity right. to it. And you right. have to have a scene where the birds are like... Well, what if we hit some pigs? Why the hell are <laughs> like, Well, that's Great. the thing. It's two options to the storyless video game adaptation. Minecraft, which you could see being kind of like Lego, but maybe even more imaginative. Yeah, just crazy. Uh, but then you have Angry Birds. It's like, okay, let's stamp this IP on the most basic animated movie blueprint. And uh, they'll learn a lesson and get the fuck out. Sell more Angry Bird games. Uh, and, and obviously we're headed more in that direction just the IPs and tie-in games. But Minecraft, yeah, I, I'm actually not sure to this day how Minecraft works. I know that every kid in America is entranced <laughs> with it. Don't you build oh, shit? You're like, like the youngest like, one of us, aren't you? Oh my gosh, Grandpa. <laughs> I honestly, I can't even figure out Snapchat, so Minecraft is way, <laughs> way beyond me. Um, well, and also, let's. there's also a middle ground here between the games that or, or the movies that are made from games that are super plot-driven versus the ones that are more sort of open-world, which is something like the Final Fantasy XV movie, which is coming out um, as a promotional event for the game. They have some... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they have some... It's not... You know, what, the Final uh, Fantasy... A movie is coming as a promotional event for a well, game? Well, it's, it's a movie that takes place 
during the events of the game, but shows a portion of the story that players are not privy to. It, that it states the characters on Crunchyroll or what? Uh, uh, no, it, <laughs> I think it'll probably be on iTunes or whatnot. Um, but you know, it stars Lena Headey and uh, Aaron what? Paul. And, oh man! Yeah, I mean, it's oh god, all, those two, those two actors yeah. are. When Hulu yeah, doesn't pay enough. Yeah, it's all CG, of course. Um, and the voices that they do, even though those characters, the same characters, will appear in the actual game, a game which is budgeted at hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, those actors are not providing the voice work for the game. But so now we have this third kind of movie that sort of serves, sort of serves as interstitial tissue. No, that that it's not even that. That serves. I I mean, I should watch it before i make a final decision but my guess is that serves as like another way to make money off of this event i i like, feel like you're right Square well, Enix desperately needs cash i mean like sometimes <laughs> these things are just like well that studio hasn't had a hit in six years so if it thinks well, it's gonna have one it's gonna bleed it and a movie is a way to do that and is this movie like basically just they t- them taking cutscenes and making a movie out of it like it's the same technology they would be using to it's put in the video It's not the same technology. It's, uh, it, it looks radically different. It looks a lot more like theater quality. So it does um, cost a lot more to make it, but it's the promotional element is worth it enough. I suppose they've done the math, but this game is such a money pit by now. It's been in production for so long. That, that, that is a good question, though, because I do wonder how... And we talked about this with Ratchet and Clank and the possibility that some assets were shared. But mm-hmm. I know there's an engine, which are... Uh, for non-nerds, the kind of software behind the games that allows them to run called Epic. Uh, actually, it's not called Epic. Epic's the company that makes it. Now I sound like even more of an asshole. Um, it's <laughs> called the Unreal. Unreal? Yeah, oh, the Unreal God, Engine. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's from the people who made Gears of War but do not own it anymore. But they're making a really, really heavy push uh, to get like film companies to use Unreal, along with with architecture companies and design firms. And the idea is that, especially as VR becomes more popular, there will kind of be this giant unification of all these different processes and assets will use between, be used between all these different things. So the uh, technology is where the money's at. It's like how James Cameron is licensing technology and getting to make whatever movies he wants as a result. Well, that's what they hope, because they used to make, their engine used to power like most games in the last generation. And now everyone's making their own technology and games. They must have made so much money. Buy stuff. Well, they also got mostly bought out by a giant uh, company called Tencent. So they're doing okay. Well, my my last thought along these lines before we wrap up is, uh, and I'm really going to sound like an old man here in the age of Twitch being valued (laughs) at however much money. But uh, I, you know, I I come from an age where, and this is going to sound bizarre, we like to play video games rather than watch them. And so that culture sort of baffles me. But I was just before we sat down the for this podcast. Culture is what yeah, I, I uh, was watching Kotaku's like clip down of like things like videos from the video game world for today. It was like huh. some PvP fights from Dark Souls three, and I was and I was there were clips from the other games interspersed there, and I was thinking about how this is essentially given within a, a lot of constraints people the opportunity to be filmmakers in their own rights and to sort of working with tools that are prescribed for them, create uh, narratives if they wanted to. And, Here we and they go. can only get David's more about to discover machinima. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's called Harry's uh, mind. I'm being time warped back to 1997. It's not that this technology is foreign to me. I, I'm aware that it exists. I'm aware that these cultures exist. But just watching it made me think that like, and with a, a little bit of a lump of uh, a lump in my throat, uh, if this could be the future of video game movies, that every player can be a director into I their own right. I sent it to you to an entire weekend of red versus blue. Nope. <laughs> I will. Those people are also like right down the street from me here in Austin. The oh Rooster yeah, wait, guys, Rooster, yeah. Uh, Rooster, Rooster Team. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, I uh, I have an idea for the uh-huh. future. Can we have Chris back to explain Warcraft to me when that movie comes oh out? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't know if you're Once ready you for play that. The game. That's, I've, I... I've already promised that I will see it. Oh, no, I promised that I will play the game, and then I ha- obviously have to see it. And I feel can like we I'm all play have, it I'm together. Some, but <laughs> can I'll we? Give you a chore. 
Is that possible? Katie is not even sure if, the, if <laughs> yeah, Warcraft is a game you play with other people. <laughs> you can right, be a panda. I know you play with other people, but can you like get your friends all on it together a, at the time? There's a one-player mode. You can do it alone in your home. No, we'll we'll do it together. It'll okay, be okay, guys. I, I appreciate but, you holding my hand through this, this trying time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I guess to answer the question about Twitch, I think. I think it's funny that you thought of filmmaking when you were watching that, because you said it was like a PvP battle, right? Like uh, a, there were a person, bunch of different clips person, in there, person, but yeah, right? yeah. But and I know, I know. Well, I think it's probably Chris Person is the guy who usually edits that at Kotaku, and when he was designing uh, kind of the format for it, he was watching a lot of ESPN uh, and Sports Center. So I think it's funny to me that. Yeah, I think I think machinima and uh, kind of filmmaking for Twitch and all that is one thing. I think the weird thing right now is like video games so desperately wanted to be filmed for so long, and I think they're finally getting past that. Well, what about it, Quantum Break? I was I wanted to bring that. Oh, don't up. worry, that, there are still examples. Uh, is that? Let's, what, wait, I, let's I'm trying that, to figure what that is. Let's uh, we'll, let's circle back to that in just one second. <laughs> but wrap this. But I I think what's interesting in about what you're talking about, where it's this mix of things, is like, video games are, sure, they're kind of like film, but they can also be like, I don't know, like, art exhibits. Like, these, they call them these walking simulators, where you just... Well, are you suggesting them. that video games are art? Ooh. I'm suggesting, actually, that they're probably more like sports, most of the time. Um, it's like that is, game Fantavision, where you were yes, just watching... Yes, it's just uh, like Fantavision. <laughs> the fireworks back, game. Oh, you know what? I used to joke, bring back Shenmue. But now that's actually happening because we live in the weirdest timeline. It's so, um, don't, I would not count all those eggs. Bring yes. back I won't, but uh, I, I look forward to walking aimlessly around uh, Japan whatever, and like <laughs> stacking crates for, oh my for days on end. Uh, I think we have to wrap, but this is uh, a, a very interesting discussion that unfortunately uh, life will force us to continue and revisit. <laughs> time and again in the future so thank you very much for to chris plant for joining us from theverge.com a vox media website and um please come back on the show when we uh have to reckon with the nightmare nightmare the nightmare <laughs> that's that actually the villain's name be, oh my god I, I, Beware, I am nightmare <laughs> if you told me nightmare was a was a warcraft character i would believe you god my so watching the trailer for that movie before star wars like the one movie that i've seen with my mom oh, in yeah. years she just turns to me and she goes that looks like an abomination <laughs> i'm sorry uh, and you're like that's I, an I abomination that's an orc is that uh, how everybody feels because in, yes i, no, I worry that maybe like People, wait! You you got to be shitting me, right? No, no. I actually, I actually am kind of excited to see someone try to translate like this hodgepodge of a story made over RTS into open world games into a movie that makes sense to people. Oh my god! But you have no faith this would be good. Like, oh no, no, no! I'm just excited. I mean, I was excited to see Robert Zemeckis do motion capture all through the early 2000s. So it's not necessarily going to be good. I'm just, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, Chris, I will see you in the PvP battles of Dark Souls 3. I look forward to invading your world. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, goodbye. <laughs> There's that explicit tag we needed. <laughs> <laughs> That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday to talk about Captain America Civil War, a movie we've all seen. Exciting times. Everybody get your bingo card hey. ready. Dave saw the movie. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the senior entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. We post all the episodes there. You can leave comments. You can leave Hamilton lyrics that I will not understand. And you can share the episodes there. So fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the senior film critic of IndieWire. I will understand all of your Hamilton comments um, and lyrics, <laughs> so please don't hold back. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich, and you can find all of us together on Mark Zuckerberg's still independently owned thefacebook.com at Fighting in the War Room. <laughs> Not a Vox Media company. No. <laughs> Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Spell my first name, DA7E. That's also my Twitter handle. I write at geek.com and latino-review.com. I also do a Game of Thrones podcast called Storm of Spoilers. And we had a very popular t-shirt 
that came true. That because it came true, we brought back. So hey, you get t-shirts again. Check out my Twitter feed uh, if you want some of those. I don't want to say them out loud because you know maybe you don't watch Game of Thrones, but you should join the sensation. Oh yeah, well if, if someone Venmo's me ten dollars, I will write Fitwer on a white t-shirt and send it to them. Wow. So there. It's okay. a bold offer. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I, uh, I'm at VanityFair.com, which is where if you've seen a Hamilton and you're interested, I talk to the guy who plays George Washington, and we quiz him on Hamilton lyrics. So he gets all your Hamilton lyric references because he was really good at the quiz. So you should go read all that. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y, R-I-C-H, and all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can talk to us and yell at us and answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of D-Pen, last year's winner coming out this Friday. What's your favorite poem to or winner and why? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday.